Isaiah 9, 6, the New King James Version reads, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Bible in basic English reads, For unto us a child has come, to us a son is given. And the government has been placed in his hands and he has been named wise guide, strong God, father forever, prince of peace. The complete Jewish Bible reads, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, dominion will rest on his shoulders and he will be given the name wonder of a counselor, mighty God, Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace. I want to talk briefly on why God came in the flesh. Why didn't he come in his full majesty, full power and full glory here on earth? You see, Christmas is about celebrating and focusing on so many things that our Lord Jesus did. But we also know that our Savior came into the world as an infant like all of us. But then even more, he came into the world as deity. He was God coming into the world, putting on the body of humans. Why was this so important? The humble birth of Jesus Christ was never intended to conceal the reality that this Jesus who was born in Soweto Zola... <laughs> was actually God in his fullness. It's very difficult for us in our human minds to fathom what it means for God to be born in such a humble place. How do we explain how an almighty God can stoop to being a tiny infant and be born by the very creation he created? Our minds cannot even begin to understand what was involved in God becoming a man. Nor can anyone explain how God can become a baby, yet he did. Without forsaking his divine nature or diminishing his deity, he was born into this world as a tiny infant. He was fully human with all the needs and emotions that are common to all of us. And yet at the same time, he was fully God, the all-wise, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God. See, for more than 2,000 years, a debate has been raging about who Jesus really is. Cults and skeptics have offered various explanations. They say, well, he's one of the many gods. Some of them say, well, he is just a created being. Some say, no, he's just a high angel. Some say, no, he's a good teacher, you know, a prophet, and so on. The common thread of all such theories is that they make Jesus less than God. But the biblical evidence is overwhelming that this child in a manger was actually the incarnation of God himself. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. It's quite interesting that expression, the word was with God. That word, word there is the word logos. I don't want to go into that. But when it says it was with God, in the literal sense, it says it was facing God. 
This gives a picture of two friends who are looking lovingly into one another's eyes, which suggests that the word was equal with God, facing God, but then it even goes further. This word that was facing God was actually God. To say, to tell us that this word was God in his own right. And it was standing, facing another God. Both of them being God. John 1.14 says, And that word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. See, God entered the world as an infant. We saw from the skit here in Matthew 1.18, talking to Mary and Joseph. About Mary and Joseph, the Bible says, and before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Paul picks up on this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, when he talks about Jesus who says, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. So God came into the world as an infant. Luke 2.11 says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ Jesus. So this baby, this infant comes into the world to be our Savior. The angel says to him in Matthew 1.21, Call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin." Paul picks up on this in Romans 5, 8. says, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that whilst we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. So this baby came. Though he was born as a human being, he also came into the world fully as God, incarnate, and he came to save us from our sin. Not only was Jesus incarnate, which means God putting on flesh, but it's also important for us to explain that his birth was a virgin birth. That is very important. See, the word incarnation is not necessarily there in the Bible. However, it's derived from Latin, which means to be clothed in flesh or the act of assuming flesh. We use it in theology as a reference to that voluntary act of the Son of God in which he assumed a human body, where God on his own volition puts on the flesh of man. So, our Christian doctrine of incarnation, when you briefly state it, is that the Lord Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became a man. It is one of the greatest events that can ever occur in the history of the universe, for God to become a man. You know, we live in a world where people love status. They love pomp and prestige. And if you ever talk to them, not within their rank, they get very offended. But our God on his own volition steps down, steps back, humbles himself and is born like a, a, a mere man. It is one of the greatest events that can ever happen without parallel. And Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3.16 and he says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. And so we do know that Jesus became a man. But not only did he become God incarnate, he was born of a virgin. He came into the world clothed in human flesh, but born, into a, as a, a, born by a virgin. Why is it so important? This was to ensure that Jesus doesn't carry the sinful nature that humans have inherited from their forefather Adam. 
It was very important that this baby who comes into the world doesn't carry sin in him. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. So if Jesus was not virgin born, then he was, he was not God in the flesh, and therefore only, he could only be a man who is possessing the sinful nature that we all possess. However, this child, this baby who was born and came into the world was born pure, without sin, not defiled, and this is unthinkable, but it is true. Paul gives another very interesting rendition of this in Galatians 4. He says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might re receive the adoption of sons. And so Paul establishes the facts of incarnation. He said the reason Jesus came in the flesh, the reason for the incarnation is that God sent forth his son, made of a woman. In other words, when it says God sent forth his son, it presupposes that the son existed before. It tells us that God, by his own choice, sent his son. See, Christ was the son in his eternal relationship with the father. Not because he was born of Mary. He was always a son of God long before he was born of Mary. Christ was the son in his eternal relationship with the father. Not because he was born of Mary. Since a son shares the nature of his father, so our Lord therefore shares the Godhead and co-equality with the father. Yes, God sent forth his son from his throne on high, from his position of heavenly glory. God did not send one for who in his birth, who became his son. In other words, Jesus didn't become a son of God because he was born of Mary. He was a son of God even long before. No wonder our text says, for unto us a child is born, number one, but then it says, unto us a son is given. The son was given in eternity past, before we knew him. His human birth was simply a method of coming to us. Again, Paul records this. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him. Oh my goodness. And he has given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. Why don't you give the Lord a big kind of praise? Because he deserves it. So before incarnation, Jesus was already in the form of God. From eternity past, he had the nature of God. He was before anything was. No wonder he told them before Abram was. Before Abram was there, I am. He existed in that form as God. So he is divine and human at the same time. And this is important. 
But here's what we want to answer today. Why did he do it? Why did he come in the flesh? Number one, Jesus came in the flesh, number one, to reveal God to men. When you read the Old Testament, you note that when people related with God, they did so in so many ways. Yes, it's true, there are those who are fortunate to have had a very close encounter, an extremely personal encounter with God. Even though the children of Israel encountered the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, and all the miracles, and all the signs and the wonders, even then God was still very distant from them. And even more so, for them to be able to access God, they had to go through so many things. And even in their feasts, they went through all these rituals, all kinds of things. They had to do all these symbolic things that were a type and a shadow. And so even if they did all that, God was still far. Just like you, you know. Many years ago before you knew God. <laughs> you remember that day when you went to church but you didn't know anything about Jesus Christ. You had what we call a religious spirit. You talked about God. We don't know Mr. Hunter, God. He was a God who's so far away. You could talk about him but there was no personal relationship. Jesus came to reveal God closely. God's greatest revelation of himself to men is in Jesus Christ. So God decided that through the incarnation, the Son of God will unite earth and heaven. And so he comes into the world fully to reveal who God was. Since God is an infinite being, no one can understand him. Only the son who has equality with God can help us understand who God is. In fact, Jesus, from his own mouth in Matthew eleven twenty seven, he said, neither knows any man the father except the son and him to whoever the son will reveal them. So here is the reason therefore. The reason for the incarnation is to reveal God to men. See, the fact of God's existence may be seen through test tubes, laboratory experiments, detected through microscope, telescope, stated in discussions, in seminars. We can say all of that, but it still doesn't make any sense. However, the glorious attributes of a loving God manifested in behalf of sinners can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. This God, Emmanuel, who came and walked the earth, he lived out who God was. He demonstrated who God was. He showed what God would do in any given situation. He came close to people to show them God wants to be close to you. This Jesus, this incarnate son, he stretched his hands to those who were in need. He related to those who were called sinners and white Bibles. He forgave sins. He loved people. He picked up children. He gave food to those who needed food. He healed those who were sick. He even told them that, you know, if you have seen me, you have seen my father. He says that to Philip. When Philip is asking him, he says, Lord, show us the father. And Jesus says, if you have seen me, Philip, if you have seen me, Philip, you've seen my father. You want to know what God would do in any situation? Look at what Jesus did in every given situation. So when the word became flesh, he brought to men an adequate revelation of God. Whatever the ancient saints and the saints knew about God before Jesus came, we have a lot of uh, uh, revelation concerning that. But in fact, God still remained abstract. However, when the son became incarnate, 
He came that we might know God. John 1 verse 1 and 8 and 9, it says, No man has seen God at any time, only the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. But then when Jesus came and they related with him, those who knew him, when they wrote later, this is what John writes in 1 John 1, 1. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. God came close to men. And when they looked at Jesus, they could then understand God. Not in types and figures and shadows and ceremonies, but they could see him here. And they could relate with him. He came, number one, to reveal who God was. Number two, he came to reveal mankind to himself. See, through the incarnation, Jesus reveals mankind to himself. He shows us what we are. But also, he shows us what we may become. When we study the purposes of God in Christ, the fact impresses that man is grossly, grossly ignorant of their real self. Mankind doesn't know their mission from God. Jesus came into the world and he said, I came here as someone who's on a mission. So Jesus came to really show mankind his primary origin. To show men that you come from God. To show men that you belong to God. To show men that there's no other way than God's way. He came to show men their depravity. But to say even in your depravity, there is still hope for you. The Bible teaches clearly that the human race, we had our origin in sin. But it shows that we are creatures made in the image of God. And we are the grand consummation of all creation. And Jesus came to show mankind who he is. Oh, Jesus restored the dignity of people. Jesus went to those who were ostracized, who were left out. Jesus went to those who thought society doesn't want to have anything to do with them, but he drew close to them. Jesus stretched out his hands to those who were in pain, and Jesus helped those who were in sin. Even those who were the worst of sinners, when they came to him and, and, and admitted who they really were, Jesus showed how much God can love them. Thirdly, he came to redeem mankind. The word redeem means to buy back. The apostle Paul states clearly that the reason Jesus came in Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5, it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. So Jesus Christ is man's redeemer. Jesus Christ is man's savior. I don't know about you, but I don't think there's any other savior outside of Jesus Christ. I don't know if there's any other one who wants to present them, themselves as a savior, but there's only one savior and his name is Jesus Christ. That is why his name, this truth applies in his name. The angel said, thou shalt call his name Jesus. That name Jesus means savior. Then it says, for he shall save his people from their sin. The angels testified at his birth, and to us a child is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. That is Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Even the Lord Jesus himself voiced emphatically the reason for his incarnation. In Luke 19:10, he said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. 
Jesus came to redeem you. If you are here today, you're listening to this message from wherever you are, and you feel lost in your heart, you feel like life doesn't have any meaning, you feel far from God, you don't need to walk away today with that same feeling and that same emotion. Jesus came to save you. If you feel lost and you feel like nothing is worth anything, Jesus came to save you. See, man was lost to God and lost to heaven. And God's purpose in redeeming us is, can only be realized through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ becomes the connecting link, linking together a holy God with sinful men. And so we need to accept his saving grace. We need to accept his saving love. You need to take a step as John 1 tells us, verse 12, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. You need to take an active step of receiving him. And when you receive him, he will not reject you. Jesus said, come unto me all you who are heavily laden. He said, I will give you rest. Jesus came to link you with heaven. He came to link you with God. He came to make sure that you are saved and you are redeemed. So our relationship with Jesus Christ is vital. He became a man. Hebrews 2.9 says that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. He tasted death for us. So he came, as he said in Mark 2.17, I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Number four, Jesus came to restrain Satan. You see, Satan had a field day with humanity, doing whatever he could do on the lives of people. Since the fall of man and since death came into the world through the sin of one man, Satan ravaged human beings. The purpose for the incarnation is revealed in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 2 verse 9, 14 and 15 reads, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part in the same flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him that has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lives subject to bondage. See, Jesus came to restrain Satan from truly taking us into eternal death. Even though we die physically, even though our life down here on earth does come to an end. However, there's a spirit on the inside of us. And when that spirit is born again, when that spirit has come into the saving knowledge of Jesus, when that spirit has been washed by the blood of Jesus, even though your body may die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We see it with so many who passed on in the New Testament, even at times when there was so much pain that accompanied them being killed. Remember Stephen when he was stoned for preaching the gospel. Even surrounded with all the stones and the pain and the hurt and everything that was happening. As he was dying, as, as he was at the last moments of his death. The Bible says he lifted up his eyes and he saw heaven open. And the son of man standing on the right hand of the father. 
and heaven was so real and going to God was so real and being changed was so real that even when he was being beaten and even when he was being killed there was no ounce of bitterness there was no ounce of revenge against those who killed him because even when they kill your body they cannot touch your spirit can I hear an amen and even in that moment he lifts up his eyes he says father into your hands I commend my spirit Bible says he didn't say he died it says he slept oh because he's going to rise again one day hallelujah I read a very interesting account this week of a man who actually passed on and uh, he, he didn't believe in God at all I mean he was a medical doctor he didn't believe in God at all you can say it like they say it in, in West Africa at all yeah that's what they say and, and he passed on I think he had an accident or something he passed on and God was gracious to, to let him get back to life so he says in his own words he says I, I noticed that I left my body and I saw my body there and, and I was going somewhere but there's a voice that spoke and he came back to life but then he started being very curious and tried to find out about this experience and it's a long story, I want to make it short. Finally, he found out from the Bible about life after death, found out that he needed to be saved and he got saved, but then he died again. He died again. And when he died, he said, this time I dreaded the thought of heaven to come back. He said, you know, there were people praying around and, and, and praying and calling me back. He says, I didn't like these people. In fact, I liked them. I just didn't like what they were doing. Didn't want to come back. He said... I was in so much pain and frustration of having to come back into the physical body. Because he said, the, the way I felt when I was outside the body, I've never felt so much freedom. I've never felt so much liveliness. I've never felt so much peace. He said, you talk about peace, you don't know what you're talking about. He said, I've never felt so much joy, so much tranquility. And I was so real of heaven. I, and I, all I wanted to do is just to run there. And when they were calling me back, I didn't like it. Well, Paul says it to the Christians in Philippi. He says, you know, I, I'm in a strait betwixt two, uh, having a desire to depart. He says, what I should do, I don't know, Mara. I will stay here because you want me to stay. See, for us, even when we die, though the people left behind may be sobbing and crying, if they really knew we are in a better place on the other side of the world. But that was never what it was before. If it was not for Jesus Christ, who paralyzed the sting of death, if it wasn't because of Jesus Christ, who made sure that when we depart on this earth, we go home to be with the Lord. He came to restrain Satan in killing us, taking us into eternal death. That's one of the best blessings ever, if nothing else, of being a child of God. In fact, 1 John 3, 8 says, For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Even in killing us, we are still victorious. Even when Satan thinks he's getting rid of us, all he's doing is to give us a promotion into a better life. <laughs> 
For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In conclusion, the fifth reason that Jesus came in the flesh, I love this one. He came that he might identify with your pain. See, Jesus came into the world and lived among us. Walked where we walk. Tasted what we taste. Experienced what we experienced. So that when you call out to him in your pain, he can feel you because he's been there. You know, when you have been through a situation and someone goes through the same situation, you understand what they're talking about. But if you've never been through their experience, you don't understand what they're talking about. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He's a God who's gracious. God incarnate who fills us, who understands us. No wonder he protected those that the religious world was trying to destroy because they had sinned. He protected them. When they brought a woman who had been taken in the act of adultery, Jesus protected her and said, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first one to cast a stone. She may be living the way she's living, but I can feel her. I can feel her pain. I can feel what she's going through. That is why his disciples didn't understand him. When he went into the homes and the houses of those that society didn't want to have anything to do with. When he wanted to go to the house of Zacchaeus, whom society has ostracized, he says, Zacchaeus, today I'm going to come and dine in your house. He's a God who will not reject you when others reject you. He's a God who will draw near to you when others don't draw near to you. That's who Jesus is. He's the one who will come close to you because he can feel your pain. He can understand your sorrow. He can understand your frustration. He can understand what you're going through. So the Bible says because he has been through what we have been through. We have a high priest who can be touched. The Amplified Bible says 
We do not have a high priest who's unable to understand and sympathize and have a shared feeling with our weaknesses and infirmities and liability for the assaults of temptation. But one who has been tempted in every respect as we are yet without sin. And it says, let us fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of God. Whatever you are going through, I ask you, please don't run away from God. Run to God. You may be living in a pigsty of sin and wrong and evil. And maybe everybody around you has discounted you. Please don't run from God. Run to God. Run to God. Run to God. Run to God. Jesus. The message Bible reads, we don't have a high priest who's out of touch with our reality. He's been through weaknesses and testing. Experienced it all. All but the sin. So, let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy. Accept the help. Will you Take the mercy. Will you accept the help? Because he's calling. Your broken life. Your miserable life. He came on the earth. To feel what you felt. And to call you to himself. Bow your heads please. Jesus.